in the precious Word of God this morning, Psalm 63. I think it's interesting that this passage was for this Sunday because we're going to see some things and literally three quick reminders that I think that are very appropriate for us today. Whether you're dealing with a cold, a flu, or some other thing that's going on in your life, maybe you're dealing with something else, I think that this psalm is a great reminder for each and every one of us. So if you have God's Word, let's look and see what God has to say to us this morning. Beginning in verse number 1, Psalm 63, David writes, O God, Thou art my God. That's good right there. He said, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see Thy power and Thy glory so as I have seen in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall also praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I shall remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of him, of them that speak lies, the Bible says they shall be stopped. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house. And Lord, certainly we are mindful that you are good. You are great. Lord, help us to remember that you are our way maker, our miracle worker. And Lord, uh, we have nothing if we don't have Jesus. Lord, help us to remember as David did to lean on the everlasting arms on your everlasting arms. Help us to reside under the shadow of your wings, under the wingspan of your protection and your help, Lord. Help us to walk in a way that brings you honor, in a way that brings you glory. Lord, I pray for our church family, those who are sick, those who are dealing with COVID, those, Lord, who are dealing with family members who have been dealing with uh, sicknesses. I think of Bill Cantwell and his daughter Kelly and the entire family. 34 years young, dealing with the effects of a stroke. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to heal her body. God, continue to draw them closer to one another and closer to you. Lord, I pray that you'll have your will and your way in the next few moments of time. Lord, as we look at how we might love you supremely, Lord, I think we could see a few secrets here from your word. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the opportunity you've given us today to worship you. I pray that you'll be honored. I pray that you'll be glorified by everything that's said or done or thought in this place. Lord, I pray if there's somebody that doesn't know Christ as their Savior watching online or here in person, that today might be the day that they would really admit their need and that they would receive the greatest gift of all, the gift of forgiveness and life everlasting. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you're about to do. For it's in Jesus' precious and powerful name that we pray and for his sake. Amen and amen. Well, 
I want to start out, and maybe you're like me. I remember taking vacations as a kid. Anybody else? Anybody remember taking vacations as a kid? You would like, and I don't know, it seems like when I was a kid, vacations were a little more purposeful than they are today. I remember uh, it didn't really matter. Um, I just remember getting really excited as uh, mom and dad, they would say, hey, we're going on vacation, and as kids, we would get excited, and really, we didn't care what the plan was. We were just excited to go on vacation, and I didn't care whether we were going to Ocean Lakes down in South Myrtle Beach or a log cabin or out in the woods somewhere to a KOA campground. I just remember getting excited about vacation. Didn't matter whether we were going swimming, sightseeing, fishing. I remember, I'm not a big fisherman, but I remember my dad teaching us to go trout fishing. Man, I love to go trout fishing, right? And so some of these things that I remember as a kid, I remember getting excited <clears throat> about vacation. I was excited about the destination. I was excited about what we would do when we were get there. But I can tell you there's one thing that I never got excited about, and that was the journey. The journey of getting there. As when after, many of you know that my mother passed away when I was 10 years of age, and uh, my dad remarried, and we were blessed. We had five boys and three girls, and we all crammed into a Mercury station wagon. And I and my two younger sisters and my youngest brother, you remember in the back of the Mercury station wagon, they had those side seats that would open up, and they had about this much room in them. And I remember after a couple of hours, we were tired. We were done with the journey. We were ready for what was coming next. Mm, that's good. We were excited for vacation, but we weren't so excited for the journey. Isn't that like us as Christians? We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're headed for heaven. We're excited about what's going to take place one day when we spend that eternity with Jesus. But we could do without all the heartaches. We could do without all the headaches of life. Do you hear me? You ever get tired of the heartaches? You ever get tired of the headaches? You ever get tired of the journey of sitting in the back of a Mercury station wagon and you're thinking, Jesus, is this all there is? I think that sometimes... We're a little bit like a child who gets upset going on vacation, sitting in the back of a station wagon. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you. But could you do, could you do away with COVID? Anybody? Anybody like that? Hey, Jesus, we love you, but could you do away with cancer? Anybody like that? Jesus, we love you, but could you, could you just make everything easy in life? Could you make my financial situation better? Could you make my family situation better? Could you take care of that one problem in the workplace? I think all of us have been there this morning in our text. If you notice with me in Psalm 63, we find David fleeing from his son Absalom. He's out in the wilderness once again. David's a guy who spent a lot of time in the wilderness. You know, when he does what's right, God lifts him up and then Saul chases him. But then David, he has a problem with sin, just like every one of us. And the Bible says that the sword would never depart from his house. And so now guess what? We've got years later, here comes Absalom. And now David's out in the middle of the wilderness, once again, dealing with his own wilderness experiences. <clears throat> 
And can I tell you that sometimes wilderness experiences are bearable. And sometimes they feel quite unbearable. And this is what we find in David's life. And the reality is that life, whether you realize it or not, life promises you and I some things like financial stress and ruin. It promises us disappointment and betrayal from our friends. Life promises us desertion sometimes from a spouse. The sorrow of seeing our children walk in ungodliness. Chronic pain. Anybody deal with chronic pain? I know Mark does. Chronic pain. And this is just part of the journey in the station wagon, so to speak. Terminal illnesses, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child, a close family member. And on, in Psalm 63, while on the run, during a very difficult season of life, quite honestly, I believe that we can see David's secret recipe for success of how he went about loving God supremely in the midst of his own wilderness experience. And I believe that we could take a couple of things from this very short passage of Scripture and put it to practice in our life. And I think that every one of us will be better for it. I don't know about you, but there's no doubt that David must have felt lonely. You think about it over and over out in the wilderness. You think he felt lonely? Do you think that he had reason to complain, to get angry, to be anxious? To be fearful, I'm guessing he had all of those things. But the reality that we find in Scripture is that David, instead of sitting around sulking about his situation, instead about whining, about riding in the back seat of a station wagon, here's what he did. He said, guess what? I'm going to seize the day. I'm going to buy up the opportunity to worship God. And we can too. So notice with me a few things. Look at verse number 1 and 2. If you're a note taker, I want you to see David's pursuit of God. In verse number 1 and 2, the Bible says, O God, thou art my God. Notice right away, David says, Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen in thy sanctuary. This is a wonderful reminder. I don't know about you, but this is a wonderful reminder to me and for all of us to maintain, as Ernie and I talk about a lot, maintain a proper focus. Maintain a proper focus in an ongoing pursuit of God, no matter what you're facing. You may not feel good this morning. Join the crowd. There's a whole rack of people who don't feel good, but that doesn't mean Jesus has abdicated his throne. He's still worthy to be worshipped. On not only Sunday... He's worthy to be worshipped tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Thank you for those who are responding. The intensity of David's devotion really broke my heart this week. Because I'm thinking, why isn't he out like Jonah under some gourd, angry about what's going on, saying, God, You've recognized me as a man after your own heart. Why are all these things happening? Why don't you just take care of this situation? Instead of sulking, here's what he does. He says, oh God, my God, early will I seek you. Notice what he's saying when he talks about it. He's saying, here's what I'm going to do. I'm out in the wilderness again. My son's after me. Things aren't great. But God, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Number one, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to put you first. You're going to come first in my life. Let me ask you a question. Because this week I've been dealing with it. 
I'm just going to be honest with you. I've been dealing with it. And this is very convicting for me that even in the midst of a scratchy throat or a cough or whatever you might have going on or a headache or whatever, in the midst of all this, it's very convicting for me every morning to think about I need to seek God first. I, yeah, yeah, I need to do what I can do. I can take Mucinex till I'm dried out, till I have no more mucus in my head. I can do all of these things. That's probably part of the problem, right? I can do all of those things, right? But in the midst of my symptoms, in the midst of my situation, I need to seek God first. That's exactly what David did, and I think it's helped for us. He said, listen, God, you're going to come first, and I can tell you that life tends to work out much better when you and I, instead of focusing our energies on everything else under the sun, that we would focus our energy on the creator of the sun. David was, as I said, recognized as this man after God's own heart. And what I find very quickly is he's a guy who says, God, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to long for you. I want to know you more, God. I don't just want to go through the, the, the motions of life. Absalom may have been hunting his father, David, but David's success was linked to the fact that in, even though his son was hunting him, David said, I'm going to keep hunting God. And that's the way that you and I should respond as well. We're filled with a bunch of knowledge, I think, about God, and yet we don't know who he really is. I think, that's the, I think if that's the sad commendation on our society today is a lot of people in the church and out of the church likewise, a lot of people say, yeah, I know a lot about God. I've heard a lot about Jesus, but we don't know God. We don't know Jesus the way that we should. I think about the fact that Jesus is our high priest. He traveled through his own wilderness experiences. And you remember in Luke chapter 22, if you guys will show that, Luke 22 and 44, he was committed to his father's perfect plan. So much so that when he goes to pray, he's in agony. The Bible says that he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Oh, yes, in the midst of his own grief, in the midst of his own sorrow, Jesus, who was committed to his father's plan, took time to seek him in prayer. Notice back in verse 1 of our text, David said that his soul was thirsty and that his flesh longed for God. Let me ask a question. Does that describe you? Does that describe us? Is our soul thirsty? Do we really long for God? Do we really take time each and every day to, to chase hard after God? Or is it just something we do on Sundays every once in a while? What is it that we sink after, thirst after, or long for in the wilderness of our lives? Have we removed or replaced God from the throne of our very heart? Because I got news for you. If, uh, to coin a bad movie, if God ain't first, he's typically last. Now, I twisted the statement a little bit, but maybe you get the picture. If God ain't first... You know, I'm talking about if winning, you guys know what I'm talking about over here. I know you race fans, you know what I'm talking about. If God isn't first, then typically the reality is that he's not second. The reality is if he's not first, we end up just shuffling him down the road, 
just shuffling, shuffling, shuffling. And then the next thing we know, we're living life and we're thinking, oh, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm living for Jesus. No, you're not. If he's not first, he's typically last. And so we have to be very, very careful about this. Do we try to fill the vacuum of our heart with other things? David didn't, and neither should we. David said, early will I seek you, God. I'm going to put you first. He said, my soul craves you. My flesh aches to be with you. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 7, in verse 37 and 38, he said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I think about the Apostle Paul, someone who came from all kind of religious and educational pedigree, if you please. Think about his life in Philippians chapter 3. Here's what he said. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Watch what he says in verse number 14. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Remember, that word mark is the word skopos in the Greek. That is literally, in fact, I remember years ago, I borrowed one of Mark's scopes uh, from his hunting uh, uh, adventures. I'll just say adventures. Uh, and, and the reality is, it's a beautiful picture because what Paul is saying is he says, listen, I've got Christ through the crosshairs of this scope. I'm not looking to the right. I'm not looking to the left. I'm pressing towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm trying to fall more in love with Jesus. I'm trying to please Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And so therefore, I'm going to keep pressing. Is that us? Oh, carpe diem, we ought to seize the day. Jesus put it this way in Mark chapter 12 and verse 29 and 30 when he answered and said, The first of all commandments is hero Israel. Uh, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God, watch it, with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, and with all of thy mind, and with all of thy strength. This is the first commandment. And we know the second what is to love our neighbors as what? Love our neighbors as our what? I just wanted to check. Love our neighbors as our what? Well, a few of you are still awake. Do you remember when you first fell in love? Anybody? Do you remember when you first fell in love? Because I do. I do. I remember those feelings. I remember that desire. I remember that my funny little honey couldn't walk down the hallway in Martinsville High School without me trying to figure out a way to, ad to adjust my travel plans from class to class so that I might catch a glimpse of her. Anybody remember that? Uh, brother, I didn't uh, fall in love with uh, anybody in high school. Okay, that's your story. But I, I can tell you that, man, I, as I fell in love with Krista, you know, fell in love with Krista, I wanted to be around her. 
I wanted to absorb everything that she was about. I wanted to learn about her. I wanted to do things with her. I wanted to go out and be with her and to, to go to dinners and to go to movies. And anywhere that she was at, I wanted to be there with her. Are you picking up what I'm getting ready to lay down? Because Jesus said that if you're going to love God, you need to love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. What are we doing? Because I'll tell you one thing. When I wasn't around her, here's what happened. My heart would ache. If I thought that I couldn't spend time with her, my heart would ache. Now, take a step back. How do we feel when we don't spend time with Jesus? If your heart doesn't ache, there's a problem. And the problem isn't with Pastor Greg. If your heart doesn't ache when you're not spending time with Jesus, there's a problem. David says, listen, my son is chasing me. I'm out in the wilderness. I've got COVID. I've got this. I've got that. I've got this. They've thrown me in the back of a Mercury station wagon. But guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to seek you first, Lord. I'm going to put you first. Man, I might get riled up this morning. That's the kind of love that we should have, Battlefield. We got a lot of people who are out sick. I get it. That's the kind of love that we should have for Jesus. And if, if that's the type of love that we were literally exemplifying in our community, I guarantee you there is no way that this place would ever have an empty seat. Uh-oh. You say, well, why is that? Because that type of love is infectious. You don't think that this woman fell in love with me because of my looks, do you? Oh, no. Oh, no, player. She fell in love with me because I didn't give her a choice. I, I dogged her. And dogged her and dogged her. And she said, okay, I guess this is what Jesus has for me. <laughs> That's okay. I'm not being self-deprecating. I'm just being honest. Do you know what? Jesus wants us to love him that much. We're not to have any other God before our God. He's to be number one, uno, first. Not second, not third, and certainly not last. And this was the secret to David's recipe of loving God supremely. He had a love that longed and searched for God. He had a love that hungered and thirsted for God. He had a love that desired nothing more than to be with God and to know Him more intimately each and every day. And you want to know what he did? He said, early will I seek you. You want to know how she knew that I loved her so much? Because I wanted to spend time with her. That's pretty simple. You want God to know how much you love him? Take some time and spend some time with him. Get alone with God today. Get in his word. Pray to him. Praise him. And that's what we're going to talk about next. 
here in just a second. In verse number two, David reveals, the Bible reveals that David had been given a vision of God's power and glory, much like uh, we had seen with Isaiah. When Isaiah, you know, in Isaiah 6, he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And you remember the result of that. When Isaiah saw who the Lord was, when he had a recognition of who God was, he said, woe is me. He said, woe am I. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Oh, listen. Look at verse number two. He says, as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. This is a beautiful picture for you and me because what it reminds us is that the same God that you and I get together to worship and sing about on Sundays is the same God that you and I can enjoy and make a part of our life from Monday through Saturday. He's not just available on Sundays. So when tomorrow when you find yourself out in the wilderness... Remember that the same God that you sang Waymaker about this morning is still the Waymaker tomorrow. He's still the promise keeper on Tuesday. He's still the light of the world on Wednesday. David had a pursuit of God. Number two, he had, you notice his praise of God. Look at verse number three and following. He said, because thy loving kindness is better than life, My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Notice right away in verse number three, David declares that God's love is better than life. Does that describe you? God's love to him was better than life itself. David was convinced that God's love was unchanging even when his own circumstances changed treasured God more than anything else. So rather than pondering the what-ifs, anybody ever ponder the what-ifs? Been there, done that. What if I felt better today? What if I didn't feel bad today? What if I had a little bit better of a job? What if I did this? What if my kids were to do this? We ponder the what-ifs all the time. But rather than pondering the what-ifs of his current wilderness experience, David set his affections, watch, on things above. That's what Paul wrote to the church at Coloss in Colossians chapter 3. In verse number 1 and following, the Bible instructs us by saying, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Verse number 2 says this, it says, set your affection on things above, not on things of earth. Verse number three, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. If you look back at our text, verse three tells us that David praised God with his lips. Verse number four, he praises God with his tongue and his hands. Verse five, he praises God with his will and his mouth. And verse six, we're told that he praises God with his memory and his mind. In other words, David was praising God with everything that he had, his entire being. He wasn't a spectator, he was a participant. Now, let me just say this, as lovingly as I can, Do you know that these people up here, when they sing, they're not just doing it so you can watch them. They're doing it so that you can join, watch, the fruit of our lips giving praise. Hebrews 13, 15. The fruit of our lips, the sacrifice, the fruit of our lips giving praise to God. When we sing about the everlasting arms of Jesus, there shouldn't be anyone who doesn't enjoy singing about the everlasting arms of Jesus. 
when we sing songs about the fact that the battle, by the way, you're at Battlefield Baptist Church. Not because we sit on Civil War battlegrounds. You're at Battlefield Baptist Church because David declared in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 47 as he was getting ready to deal with Goliath that no man wanted to stand up and fight this so-called giant of the world. David said, the battle belongs to the Lord. He understood that his victory was secured because of God's power, not his own ability. And so when we sing Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Light in the darkness. My God, that's who you are? That's an opportunity for us to praise the Lord. What was interesting to me was I noticed some of the people who were praising and singing God. Now they do a thing that gets very, people get nervous in Baptist churches. Now I'm just going to be real transparent with you. When, when you do this, uh-oh, uh-oh. We got some Pentecostals here raising their hand. Uh-oh, what's going on? Can I tell everybody else, just take a chill? Because that just tells me you know not what the Bible has to say about the worship and praise of God with our hands and our whole body. Now, I don't know if the guys were able to put it together, but the Bible has a lot to say about worshiping with our hands. Were we able to put that slide together? Yes, no? Probably not. I don't see it coming up. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, <laughs> God's word has a lot to say about worshiping God with our hands. And I put together a list. And if you want to really rapid fire, take some notes. Here's a list of passages that have a lot to say about worshiping God with your hands. Psalm 63, 4. Psalm 28, 1 through 3. Psalm 88, 9. Psalm 119, 48. Psalm 134, 2. Psalm 141, 1 and 2. Psalm 143, 6. 2 Chronicles 6, 12 and 13. Ezra 9, 5. Wow. Nehemiah 8, 6. Lamentations 3, 41. 1 Timothy 2, 8. I mean, that's enough, right? Talks about the worship of God, not just with our lips, but with our hands. We can worship God and praise God with our whole body. Not only is it okay to praise God this way, but we actually should praise God this way. And let me just say this. When we truly worship God in a way that we're not simply playing games or trying to be a show. By the way, you know God knows if you're just putting on a show. You may fool me, right? I'm easily fooled. You may fool me. You may fool someone else. But God's not easily fooled. He's God. And so if you're not playing games and the Holy Spirit leads you to praise God with your hands, I want you to know that biblically it's okay. Don't let Ernie beat you down. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> no, because you know what? Ernie worships God with his hands. I've seen Ernie worship God with his hands. You see, when we worship God in this way, you know what we're communicating? When we, when we take more than just our words, but we take our whole being and we worship God in this way, you know what we're saying? We're saying a few things. I put down here, we're actually communicating our personal surrender to him, our utter vulnerability to him, our utter dependency on him, and our happy expectation in him. The expectation that says, I can do nothing, but God, I know you can do everything. And that's what David knew. David understood this, and so he praised God. 
It was pastor, teacher, and author Dr. Adrian Rogers who once suggested a list of things that praise can do for and in the life of a believer. Here's what he said. He said, number one, praise reverences God. Praise reverences God because it acknowledges Him as creator and sustainer of the world. He said, praise refreshes the saint. Now, you've heard me say many times before that when the praises go up, the power comes down. And so when we praise God, many times we're filled with Holy Spirit power to go through that wilderness experience that we're struggling with. Number three, he said praise releases faith. When we praise God, we begin to recognize once again that God, who God is and what God has done in the past. And I've always told my wife, my wife and I have a funny little thing that we go back and forth on sometimes. And I'll say, listen, I base my faith on past provisions. Now we say that in regards to one another. So sometimes if I, uh, you know, it's like doing house chores or something. She'll say, did you get the trash or something like that? And I'll say, come on. You know I got the trash out. And she said, well, I based my faith on past provisions. That might mean that I forgot to take the trash out a few times, right? <laughs> Same thing. So when we come to thinking about releasing our faith with God, I base my faith on past provisions. You want to know why? Because God's never left me. He's never forsaken me. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when I focus on who he is and what he has done in the past, I can be more than confident to take a step of faith knowing that he's going to provide the answer in that step of faith today and tomorrow. Dr. Rogers said praise reflects our thankfulness to God. And then I love this last one. He said praise repels the enemy, the devil. Can I tell you the devil is still walking about seeking whom he may devour. But Adrian Rogers, here's what he's suggesting. He's saying that the devil is allergic to praise. So whether you and I are gathered together in this room and we will in one accord lift up our voices in praise or whether we're in our car at home or wherever we're at and we're praising God, guess what? Adrian Rogers was suggesting that the devil is so allergic to praise that he will stay away from the person of praise. Now, hello, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you is what James actually says in James chapter 4. I believe Dr. Rogers was right. If we spend our time praising God and the devil is allergic to praise, guess what? That's some good spiritual armor. You say, I put on the armor of God and I'm battling each and every day. You want to know what? You want to know what will help? It's praise. 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 You know we always tell one another, brother, I'm going to pray for you about that. Sister, I'm going to pray for you about that. You know what we ought to do? We ought to start telling one another, we're just going to keep praising God. We're going to praise God. We're going to praise our way through this valley. We're going to praise him because he's worthy of praise. David loved God so much that he told him and showed him with passionate praise and worship. Psalm 22 and verse 23 says, Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. Last week in our text, Psalm 40 verse 3, David said that God had put a new song in his mouth. Even the praise unto our God. He said, Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Psalm 57, 7, David, the psalmist says, My heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Do you know something? If your heart is fixed, that means it is established. It is steady. It is not changing. And if your heart is fixed on God, there's no other reason than that than to praise God. 
You just keep praising him. 1 Peter 2 and verse number 9 reminds us that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now we know Peter's talking to the, uh, to the Jews who were dispersed over the known world at that time. But associative as believers, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh listen, God's word puts a lot of emphasis on praise. We would do well to become people of praise. Not only pursue God, but praise God. And then finally we see that because David was a man of pursuit and a man of praise, he was able to enjoy the peace of God. He was able to enjoy the peace of God. In the midst of this wilderness experience, he's being chased down, hunted by his own family. Anybody got family that just loves you so much that they will hunt you down sometimes? You say, no, I've never had that. You haven't had a Thanksgiving then, right? I know COVID has stopped Thanksgiving meals. They say that families fight more at Thanksgiving than any other time of the year. Isn't that crazy? The idea that we would get together to thank God for his blessings and that families would use it as an opportunity to argue, fuss, and fight. David's pursuit and praise of God led him to enjoy the peace of God. Look at verse 6. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. He said, verse 8, my soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me, but those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes, but the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speaketh lies shall be stopped. Look at verse 6 and 7, because verses 6 and 7 point to God as our helper. I don't know about you, but I need a helper. Anybody need a helper? This is why David said, I'm going to meditate, meditate on you in the night watches. In other words, all throughout the night. Think about it. He's out in the wilderness. I've told you many times as a child, I was fearful of the dark. Can you imagine being out in the wilderness, hiding in some can, den or cave, and being fearful that your son is trying to destroy you, trying to overtake you, trying to have you killed so that he could take your throne. David says here, he says, guess what? He says, I'm going to meditate on thee in the night watches. I'm not going to become angry. I'm not going to become anxious because God, I know that you are my helper. You are the one that will see me through this situation. Verse number 8 reminds us that God is, this, is our protector. David says, he said, thy right hand upholds me. He's literally saying, God, because you're the one that's holding me with your right hand, I can cling on to you because here's the reality. I'm not holding you. You're the one holding me. See, I think that's where we get things wrong. We think that it's all about us and what we're doing. It's not about you. It's all about him. It's all about what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. And David understood that. He said, I can cling on to you confidently because I understand that there's nothing that can separate me from your love and from your protective care. Verses 9 and 10 remind us that you and I can turn over our enemies or whatever it is that we're dealing with to God. And verse number 11 says that you and I can actually rejoice in the deliverance that God gives us. And all of these truths enable David to be at peace in the midst of a very difficult situation.
The psalmist said in Psalm 29, 11, the Lord will give strength. Will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with what? Peace. Isaiah 26, 3, one of my favorite go-to verses when people tell me they're anxious. They're like, hey, pastor, I'm getting ready for a surgery. Will you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you, but I want you to memorize Isaiah 26 and verse number 3. Because it says, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. And then if you go to verse number four, it talks about the fact that there's everlasting strength in the Lord. Oh, listen, you want perfect peace, keep your mind stayed on thee because it was our Lord who reminds us in Jeremiah 29, 11, huh, that he's got thoughts of peace for us. He says, for I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Think about Jesus when he's talking to his disciples. He's talked to them in John chapter 13. He's given them an example that they should follow. They're getting together for that Passover feast. And then John chapter 14, remember, he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. You get over to John chapter 15, and he says, hey, listen. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Then he gets to John chapter 16. He says, I got some good news and some bad news. The bad news is the world hates you. The good news is they hated me before you, and they hate you so much, and they hate me so much that one day they're going to kill you and they're going to think that they've done the world a favor but then he gets all the way to the end of John chapter 16 and in verse number 33 here's what Jesus said he says all of these things all of the things that I've told you I've told you that you might have what because guess what Jesus said I am the prince of peace so all of these things that I've told you all of these these things about the fact that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh to the Father. All of these things about the vine and the branches. All of these things about how the world's going to hate you. I've told them to you so that you might have peace because here's the reality. In this world, you will have tribulation, but you can be of good cheer because guess what? Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Oh, my gracious. Oh, my gracious friends. Oh, listen, we need to pursue God. We need to praise God. And I believe, I'm just crazy enough to believe that when we put God first, when we praise God for who He is and what He has done and what He is going to do, I'm just crazy enough to believe that you and I will be able to rest at peace in God. When it was all said and done, David figured out that the only thing that mattered, and quite honestly, the only thing that he couldn't live without, was God. It's the only thing I can't live without. Yeah, I'm out in the wilderness. Pastor, you don't understand. You don't, I, I don't. I don't. I'm looking at people. I don't understand every aspect of it. I don't understand everything that you may be going through. Pastor, you don't get it. I'm not the one that's supposed to get it. God gets it. God hasn't given me that ability. But I can love you. I can encourage you. We can encourage one another. I feel like I'm out in the wilderness. What am I to do, Pastor? What do you, what do you suggest in 2022? We've started off now, and they're saying COVID's running rampant. Guys, 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 COVID is going to keep running rampant. 
That doesn't mean I want to dissuade or minimize it or whatever. What I'm saying is that we have to walk in faith, by faith. Believing that Jesus is still on his throne. Do you think that a virus has caught him by surprise? Do we? No. Do we think that what's going on in this country has caught him by surprise? Absolutely not. Can I say this? Sometimes, I don't know where you're at, but the one thing I do know in my 55 plus years is that sometimes God takes us, has taken me through wilderness experiences in my life because it's part of the transformation process. You say, this, that's terrible. I want out of the Mercury station wagon. I've said many times how I used to pray for patience. I don't pray for patience anymore. Because God's, a, he's got a little bit of a sense of humor. You know, you pray for patience. He says, okay, there's an exam coming Monday morning. And then I'd fail the exam. And I'd say, God, just give me patience. He'd say, well, I just gave you a test. You failed. God, just give me patience. Okay, I'm going to send a retest on Wednesday. But God, I just need, I need, I need strength, man. This is crazy, God. I'm doing a lot of things and it's really hard. And God, I'm going to send you another test on Friday. Be thankful that I don't test you every day. I want you to be able to study and the day's off, right? I'm going to give you time to study and prepare your heart and your mind for the next test that's coming. I stopped praying for patience. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't continue to send wilderness experiences in my life. And he does the same with you. Each and every one of you. The reality, though, is like David, we have a choice. You can either sulk about it. You can either whine about it like I used to and my sisters and I used to in the back of the station wagon. You know what kids always say when you go on vacation? How much longer? Uh, we just got on the road 30 minutes ago. How much longer? Eight hours. Oh! <laughs> So we would play games, you know, try and pick out license plates from different states and even numbers on license plate versus odd numbers. All we did everything we could think of to kind of maintain our sanity. But because David loved God so much, he woke up. He woke up in the morning and he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pursue you, God. He spent the rest of his day he said, I'm going to praise you. And then when he came to the night watches, he said, God, I'm going to enjoy the peace that I have in you because I trust you. You're the one that's holding me. And because you're the one that's holding me, I can cling to you because I know that you're my helper. I know that you're my protector. I know that you are the one that's going to provide for my every step. That's exactly what he wants us to do. So what's my recommendation based upon the word of God? My recommendation is carpe diem. Seize the day. You want to live and love God supremely? Pursue him. Praise him. And enjoy the peace 
that you have in him. If you don't know Christ, the reality is you cannot know peace. You may have a form of peace that you think will hold you over, but very quickly life will throw you a curveball or another trial or test and you'll not have peace. So I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus today, whether you're watching online or you're here in this room, simply call out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. You say, what's that all about? That's all about you understanding who you are, recognizing your need as a person, as a sinner who needs a Savior, and you just simply ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I understand I'm a sinner. I believe that you are God. I believe that you died in my place on that old rugged cross. I believe that you were buried in a borrowed tomb and that you rose three days later according to Scripture. I believe all of that. I believe that you've gone to prepare a place for me. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me and to come into my life. That's what you need to do if you've never trusted Christ. But if you know Christ, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Not just as you're driving home. Because right about now, you're already thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch. Yeah, because you're covered with flesh. Same thing that I'm covered with. But tomorrow, tomorrow, when you get up to face the wilderness of this world, I want to beg you, take time to pursue God. Take time to praise God. And I guarantee you, if you put those things first and foremost, if you put Him first and foremost in your life, the peace of God will be enjoyed each and every day. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had to be in your house. Lord, I pray that as we sing a song, a closing song of invitation, Lord, that you'll be honored by voices lifted high in praise and adoration to you. Lord, I thank you for those who took time to be in your house today. Certainly we pray for our brothers and sisters who are sick or under the weather, some who are, who are not feeling sick, but are just quarantining out of safety precautions. Lord, I pray that you will protect us. Lord, I pray that you'll give us wisdom and the wherewithal to reach our world with the love and the truth that Jesus saves. Lord, I pray that our pursuit of you would be honoring and that our praise of you would be sweet, would be a sweet sound to your ears. Lord, thank you for thank you for authoring and finishing the peace that we need. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, God, that you will continue to be lifted high. Lord, that we'll be able to say that it was good to have been in your house today. And that we'll take what we've heard, what we've learned to heart, and that we'll apply it in a way that brings you glory. Lord, I love you. I thank you for allowing me the ability and the voice to get through this message this morning. I praise you because you're worthy of it. God, we love you and thank you. And we praise you in the precious name of Jesus and for his sake. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.